Can you hear me now? Um, Rachel says, I'm so excited to get back into the swing of things here in the Harry Potter reading world. Homie, yes, I'm with you. Wonderful people, welcome back. We're reading chapters 10 and 11 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. This is book two. Sorry for anybody just catching up, but uh, it took me a whole book to figure out how to do this. So that's why you're getting invited so late in the game for any newbies who are just arriving here. Um, I'm going to give my summary. Usually I just summarize kind of what happened last week. This week I'm going to summarize like briefly what's been happening for the first part of this book up to where we are now and then we're gonna get started and you can sort of see how I do things here Rachel says she can hear now excellent Rachel as usual thank you for being an excellent monitor of the stream I don't even know what to call you Rachel you're like a you're like the the, the stream patron or something I don't know if that really counts but uh, yeah if you can see down in the description below this is Story stream, I believe, number 13. I may have to go back and look at that number. It's a little tough because I don't always read two chapters. And uh, sometimes like, I've had to go back and read chapters again before. I think this is number 13. Here's my summary. Here's where we've been so far. It's Harry's birthday, as usual. His birthday falls right around the beginning of the school year. Um, the Dursleys are having a party. It's not for Harry. It's for some business friends. Harry's trying to be very good about it. Ends up really messing up because of the total lack of help he gets from a little creature called Dobby the House Elf. Um, Dobby shows up warning Harry not to go back to Hogwarts. Turns out he's kind of successful because he causes Uncle Vernon to lock Harry up. Tells him he's not going back to school. So the Weasleys come and bust him out with witches in the world. Being very pleased to see him. Very pleased to meet him. So we've met Gilderoy Lockhart. We've met Lucius Malfoy. Harry tries to get on the train to Hogwarts, and he can't. For some reason, the brick wall just won't let him in. Um, so they get the bright idea, because everyone else has already made their way to Hogwarts, and Ron's parents are gone. They're going to take the car. So they get in a flying car, try to make it invisible for a while. They end up making it all the way to school before crashing the thing violently into a tree outside of Hogwarts called the Whomping Willow. It beats the crap out of the car. After that, they both got detention. Uh, Ron has to clean the trophies in the trophy room and Harry gets stuck with Professor Gilderoy Lockhart. Um, Lockhart seems to really have like latched on to Harry for some reason, sort of sees Harry as kind of a protege, somebody who he can talk to about what it's like to have fame, because Harry Potter is the boy who lived. He's kind of famous just all by himself. And I think Lockhart kind of likes being attached to famous people. Even though he's clearly such an accomplished wizard, he writes all about his exploits in different parts of the world. Ah, oh, let's see... All right, Harry learns a little bit about uh, a dynamic he wasn't aware of in the wizarding world, which is purebloods and a vicious slur, mudbloods. It's this concept that some wizards believe that only the only true wizards are the ones who come from long lines of wizards and don't have any muggle parentage or muggle ancestors. Um, a lot of wizards think this is nonsense because there are plenty of very powerful, very accomplished, very dedicated wizards who had uh, muggle ancestors or even 
parents who were both muggles, like Hermione Granger. But uh, Harry learns a little bit about how serious this whole thing is. Because one night, he's running around the school, basically. They were at a death day party for the Gryffindor ghost, Nearly Headless Nick. And they run into a, a message scrawled on the walls in blood. It says, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. Harry asks a little bit about this. Um, but I'm not sure I want to get into that yet, because I believe that's kind of where we end up at the very beginning of this chapter. Oh, they have a whole big argument with Malfoy about this. Malfoy, Draco Malfoy, the younger, um, seems kind of excited about all this. There's this... There's, there's somebody in the school who's got it out for mudbloods. Draco isn't a big fan of people who are not pure-blooded. Rachel says, things are better. Audio's good. Or gold. I think you probably meant to say good, but gold would be even better. A um, little glitchy, though. I think that should clear up soon. So Malfoy's excited. They have a big altercation where Ron tries to curse Malfoy for calling Hermione a mudblood, which is the kind of the equivalent of like the N-word or some other big racial slur uh, in the magical world. And uh, because Ron's wand got broken in his little adventure with the Whomping Willow, he accidentally curses himself, and he's been he's been burping out slugs for a while. Let's see, anything else I've missed? Ah, yes. They believe this is the last thing that we're going to start. They believe Malfoy is plotting something, or knows something. They think he might be the heir of Slytherin. They think he might be the one who has opened the Chamber of Secrets, and who is going to release the beast that Salazar Slytherin put in there all those years ago, as the legend says. Uh, they can't be sure, though. They think he's probably... <laughs> Rachel said the audio is gold. Excellent. They can't be sure, but they're pretty sure that... If Malfoy is the heir, he's going to be bragging about it. So they're cooking up Polyjuice Potion, which is going to allow them to take the forms of some Slytherins and get in to listen to Malfoy bragging about being the heir of Slytherin. That's what they think they're going to hear. That's what they're suspicious about. All right, there's my summary. Longer one than average. Um, wonderful people, if there's anything you'd like to discuss while I'm reading, go ahead and put it in the chat. Um, if it's something I can pause and talk about, I will. Otherwise, we'll talk about it during the break. Got any questions or comments or concerns about the people we're meeting, the places we're going, or the things we're hearing, go ahead and let me know, and we'll talk about them. As usual, thank you all for listening. And let's get started. Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger Since the disastrous episode of the Pixies, Professor Lockhart had not brought live creatures to class. Instead, he read passages from his books to them, and sometimes reenacted some of the more dramatic bits. He usually picked Harry to help him with these reconstructions. So far, Harry had been forced to play a simple Transylvanian villager, whom Lockhart had cured of a babbling curse, a yeti with a head cold, and a vampire who had been unable to eat anything except lettuce since Lockhart had dealt with him. Rachel, I was going to do it during the break. Rachel! Rachel! Harry was hauled to the front of the class during their very next Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson, this time acting a werewolf. 
If he hadn't had a very good reason for keeping Lockhart in a good mood, he would have refused to do it. Nice loud howl, Harry. Exactly. And then, if you'll believe it, I pounced like this, slammed him on the floor. Thus, with one hand, I managed to hold him down. With my other, I put my wand into a... Uh, put my wand to his throat, and then I screwed up my remaining courage and performed the immensely complex, amorphous charm. He let out a piteous moan. Go on, Harry. Uh, higher than that. Good. The fur vanished, the fangs shrank, and he turned back into a man. Simple, yet effective. And another villager will remember me forever as the hero who delivered them all from the monthly terror of werewolf attacks. The bell rang, and Lockhart got to his feet. Homework! Compose a poem about my defeat of the Wagga Wagga Werewolf. Signed copies of Magical Me to the author of the best one. The class began to leave. Harry returned to the back of the room, where Ron and Hermione were waiting. Ready? Harry muttered. Wait until everyone's gone, said Hermione nervously. All right. She approached Lockhart's desk, a piece of paper clutched tightly in her hand, Harry and Ron right behind her. Um, Professor Lockhart? Hermione stammered. I wanted to get this book out of the library. It's just for background reading. She held out the piece of paper, her hand shaking slightly. But the thing is, it's in the restricted section of the library, so I need a teacher to sign for it. I'm sure it would help me to understand what you say in Gadding with Ghouls about slow-acting venoms. Oh, Gadding with Ghouls, said Lockhart, taking the note from Hermione and smiling widely at her. Possibly my very favorite book. You enjoyed it? Oh, yes, said Hermione eagerly. So clever the way you trapped the last one with a tea strainer. Well, I'm sure no one will mind giving the best student of the year a little extra help, said Lockhart warmly, and he pulled out an enormous peacock quill. Yes, nice, isn't it? he said, misreading the revolted look on Ron's face. I usually save it for book signings. He scrawled an enormous loopy signature on the note and handed it back to Hermione. So, Harry said Lockhart, while Hermione folded the note with fumbling fingers and slipped it into her bag. Tomorrow's the first Quidditch match of the season, I believe. Gryffindor against Slytherin, is it not? I hear you're a useful player. I was a seeker, too. I was asked to try for the national squad, but preferred to dedicate my life to the eradication of the dark forces. Still, if you ever feel the need for a little private training, don't hesitate to ask. <laughs> Always happy to pass on my expertise to less able players. Harry made an indistinct noise in his throat and then hurried off after Ron and Hermione. I don't believe it, he said as the three of them examined the signature on the note. He didn't even look at the book we wanted. That's because he's a brainless git, said Ron. But who cares? We got what we needed. Ron sounded a little rusty. <laughs> fine. <laughs> he is not a brainless git, said Hermione shrilly as they half ran toward the library. Just because... Oh boy. Oh boy. Alright, it's been like a month. A little rusty. I'm coming back to it. It's alright. Just because he said you were the best student of the year. They dropped their voices as they entered the muffled stillness of the library. Madame Pince, the librarian, 
was a thin, irritable woman who looked like an underfed vulture. Most potent potions, she repeated suspiciously, trying to take the note from Hermione, but Hermione wouldn't let go. I was wondering if I could keep it, she said breathlessly. Oh, come on, said Ron, wrenching it from her grasp and thrusting it at Madame Pince. We'll get you another autograph. Look out, will sign anything if it stands still long enough. Madame Pince held the note up to the light, as though determined to detect a forgery, but it passed the test. She stalked away between the lofty shelves and returned several minutes later, carrying a large and moldy-looking book. Hermione put it carefully into her bag and they left, trying not to walk too quickly or look too guilty. Five minutes later, they were barricaded in Moaning Myrtle's out-of-order bathroom once again. Hermione had overridden Ron's objections by pointing out that it was the last place anyone in their right minds would go, so they were guaranteed some privacy. Moaning Myrtle was crying noisily in her stall, but they were ignoring her, and she them. Hermione opened most potent potions carefully, and the three of them bent over the damp-spotted pages. It was clear from a glance why it belonged in the restricted section. Some of the potions had effects almost too gruesome to think about, and there were some very unpleasant illustrations which included a man who seemed to have been turned inside out, and a witch sprouting several extra pairs of arms out of her head. Here it is, said Hermione excitedly as she found the page headed the polyjuice potion. It was decorated with drawings of people halfway through transforming into other people. Harry sincerely hoped the artist had imagined the looks of intense pain on their faces. This is the most complicated potion I've ever seen, said Hermione as they scanned the recipe. Lacewing flies, leeches, fluxweed, knotgrass, she murmured, running her finger down the list of ingredients. Very easy enough, they're in the student store cupboard. We can help ourselves. Ooh, look, powdered horn of a bicorn. I don't know where we're going to get something like that. Shredded skin of a boomslang, that'll be tricky too. And of course, a bit of whoever we want to change into. Excuse me, said Ron sharply. What do you mean, a bit of whoever we're changing into? I'm not drinking nothing with crab's toenails in it. Hermione continued as though she hadn't heard him. We don't have to worry about that yet, though, because we've got to add those bits last. Ron turned, speechless, to Harry, who had another worry. Do you realize how much we're going to have to steal, Hermione? Shredded skin of a boom slang, that's definitely not in the students' cupboard. What are we going to do, break into Snape's private stalls? I don't know if this is a good idea. Hermione shut the book with a snap. Well, if you two are going to chicken out, fine, she said. There were bright pink patches on her cheeks, and her eyes were brighter than usual. I don't want to break the rules, you know. I think threatening Muggleborns is far worse than brewing up a difficult potion, but if you don't want to find out if it's Malfoy, I'll go straight to Madame Pince now and hand the book back in. Never thought I'd see the day when you'd be persuading us to break the rules, said Ron. <sighs> All right, we'll do it. But not toenails, okay? How long will it take to make, anyway? said Harry, as Hermione, looking happier, opened the book again. Hmm. Well, since Lacewing... Well, since the fluxweed's got to be picked at the full moon and Lacewings have got to be stewed for twenty-one days, I'd say it'll be ready in about a month if we can gather all the right ingredients. A month, said Ron. 
Malfoy will have attacked half the Muggleborns in the school by then. But Hermione's eyes narrowed dangerously again, and he added swiftly, But it's the best plan we've got, so full steam ahead, I say. However, while Hermione was checking that the coast was clear for them to leave the bathroom, Ron muttered to Harry, It'll be a lot less hassle if you can just knock Malfoy off his broom tomorrow. Harry woke early on Saturday morning and lay for a while, thinking about the coming Quidditch match. He was nervous, mainly at the thought of what Wood would say if Gryffindor lost, but also at the idea of facing a team mounted on the fastest racing brooms gold could buy. He had never wanted to beat Slytherin so badly. After an hour of lying awake with his insides churning, he got up, dressed, and went down to breakfast early, where he found the rest of the Gryffindor team huddled at the long, empty table, all looking uptight and not speaking much. As eleven o'clock approached, the whole school started to make its way down to the Quidditch Stadium. It was a muggy sort of day, with a hint of thunder in the air. Ron and Hermione came hurrying over to wish Harry good luck as he entered the locker room. The team pulled on their scarlet Gryffindor robes, then sat down to listen to Wood's usual pre-match pep talk. Oh, Slytherin's got better brooms than us, he began. No point denying it. But we've got better people on our brooms. We've trained harder than they have. We've been flying in all weathers. Too true, muttered George Weasley. I haven't been properly dry since August. And we're going to make them rue the day that they let that little bit of slime Malfoy buy his way onto their team. Chest heaving with emotion, Wood turned to Harry. <sighs> It'll be down to you, Harry. To show them that a seeker's got something more than a rich father. Get to that snitch before Malfoy or die trying, Harry, because we've got to win today. We've got to. <laughs> no pressure, Harry, said Fred, winking at him. As they walked out onto the pitch, the roar of noise greeted them. Mainly cheers because Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff were anxious to see Slytherin beaten, but the Slytherins in the crowd made their boos and hisses heard, too. Madam Hooch, the Quidditch teacher, asked Flint and Wood to shake hands, which they did, giving each other threatening stares and gripping rather harder than was necessary. On my whistle, said Madam Hooch. Three, two, one. With a roar from the crowd to speed them upward, the fourteen players rose toward the leaden sky. Harry flew higher than any of them, squinting around for the snitch. You all right there, Scarhead? yelled Malfoy, shooting underneath him as though to show off the speed of his broom. Harry had no time to reply. At the very moment, a heaving black bludger came pelting toward him. He avoided it so narrowly, he felt it ruffle his hair as it passed. Close one, Harry, said George, streaking past him with his club in hand, ready to knock the bludger back toward a Slytherin. Harry saw George give the bludger a powerful whack in the direction of Adrian Pusey, but the bludger changed direction in midair and shot straight for Harry again. Harry dropped quickly to avoid it, and George managed to hit it hard toward Malfoy, once again, the bludger swerved like a boomerang and shot at Harry's head. Harry put on a burst of speed and zoomed toward the other end of the pitch. He could hear the bludger whistling along behind him. What was going on? Bludgers never concentrated on one player like this. It was their job to try and unseat as many people as possible. Fred Weasley was waiting for the bludger at the other end. Harry ducked as Fred swung at the bludger with all his might. The bludger was knocked off course. Gotcha! Fred yelled happily, but he was wrong. 
as though it was magnetically attracted to Harry, the bludger pelted after him once more, and Harry was forced to fly off at full speed. It had started to rain. Harry felt heavy drops fall onto his face, splattering his glasses. He didn't have a clue what was going on with the rest of the team until he heard. Lee Jordan, who was commentating, say, Slytherin lead, 60 points to zero. The Slytherin's superior brooms were clearly doing their jobs. And meanwhile, the mad bludger was doing all it could to knock Harry out of the air. Fred and George were now flying so close to him on either side that Harry could see nothing at all except their flailing arms and had no chance to look for the snitch, let alone catch it. Somebody's tampered with this bludger, Fred grunted, swinging his bat with all his might as it launched a new attack on Harry. We need a timeout, said George, trying to signal to Wood and stop the bludger breaking Harry's nose at the same time. Wood had obviously got the message. Adam Hooch's whistle rang out, and Harry, Fred, and George died for the ground, still trying to avoid the mad bludger. What's going on? said Wood, as the Gryffindor team huddled together, while Slytherins in the crowd jeered. We're being flattened. Fred, George, where were you that bludger stopped Angelina from scoring? We were about twenty feet above her, stopping the other bludger from murdering Harry, Oliver, said George angrily. Somebody's fixed it. It won't leave Harry alone. Hasn't gone for anyone else the whole game. Slytherins must have done something to it. But the bludgers have been locked in Madame Hooch's office since our last practice. There was nothing wrong with them then, said Wood, anxiously. Madame Hooch was walking toward them. Over her shoulder, Harry could see the Slytherin team jeering and pointing in his direction. Listen, said Harry, as she came nearer and nearer. With you two flying around me all the time, the only way I'm going to catch the snitch is if it flies up my sleeve. Go back to the rest of the team and let me deal with the rogue one. Don't be thick, said Fred. It'll take your head off. Wood was looking from Harry to the Weasleys. Oliver, this is insane, said Alicia Spinnet angrily. You can't let Harry deal with that thing on its own. Let's ask for an inquiry. If we stop now, we'll have to forfeit the match, said Harry. And we're not losing to Slytherin just because of a crazy bludger. Come on, Oliver, tell them not. This is all your fault, George said angrily to Wood. Get the snitch or die trying. What a stupid thing to tell him. Madame Hooch had joined them. Are you ready to resume play? She asked Wood. She, she sounded like a maniac there. Um, Wood looked at the determined face on Harry. <laughs> it's rusty. It's fine. Wood looked at the determined look on Harry's face. All right, he said. Fred, George, you heard Harry. Leave him alone and let him deal with the bludger on his own. The rain was falling more heavily now. On Madame Hooch's whistle, Harry kicked hard into the air and heard the telltale whoosh of the bludger behind him. Higher and higher, Harry climbed. He looped and swooped, spiraled, zigzagged and rolled. Slightly dizzy, he nevertheless kept his eyes wide open. Rain was speckling his glasses and ran up his nostrils as he hung upside down, avoiding another fierce dive from the bludger. He could hear laughter from the crowd. He knew he must look very stupid, but the rogue bludger was heavy and couldn't change direction as quickly as Harry could. He began a kind of roller coaster ride around the edges of the stadium, squinting through the silver sheets of rain to the Gryffindor goalposts, where Adrian Pusey was trying to get past wood. 
A whistling in Harry's ear told him the bludger had just missed him again. He turned right over and sped in the opposite direction. Are you training for the ballet, Potter? yelled Malfoy as Harry was forced to do a stupid kind of twirl in midair to dodge the bludger, and he fled, the bludger trailing a few feet behind him. And then, glaring back at Malfoy in hatred, he saw it. The golden snitch. It was hovering inches above Malfoy's left ear, and Malfoy, busy laughing at Harry, hadn't seen it. For an agonizing moment, Harry hung in midair, not daring to speed toward Malfoy in case he looked up and saw the snitch. <laughs> Wham! He'd stayed still a second too long. The bludger had hit him at last, smashed into his elbow, and Harry felt his arm break. Dimly, dazed by the searing pain in his arm, he slid sideways on his rain-drenched broom, one knee still crooked over at his right arm, dangling useless at his side. The bludger came pelting back for a second attack, this time aiming at his face. Harry swerved out of the way, one idea lodged firmly in his numb brain. To get Malfoy. Through a haze of rain and pain, he dived for the shimmering, sneering face below him and saw his eyes widen with fear. Malfoy thought Harry was attacking him. What the? he gasped, careening out of Harry's way. Harry took his remaining hand off his broom and made a wild snatch. He felt his fingers close around the cold snitch, but was now only gripping the broom with his legs. There was a yell from the crowd below as he headed straight for the ground, trying hard not to pass out. With a splattering thud, he hit the mud and rolled off his broom. His arm was hanging at a very strange angle. Riddled with pain, he heard, as though from a distance, a good deal of whistling and shouting. He focused on the snitch clutched in his good hand. <laughs> he said vaguely, We've won. And he fainted. He came round, rain falling on his face, still lying on the field, with someone leaning over him. He saw a glitter of teeth. Oh no, not you, he moaned. Doesn't know what he's saying, said Lockhart loudly to the anxious crowd of Gryffindors pressing around them. Not to worry, Harry, I'm about to fix your arm. No, said Harry. I'll keep it like this, thanks. He tried to sit up, but the pain was terrible. He heard a familiar clicking noise nearby. I don't want a photo of this, Colin, he said loudly. Lie back, Harry, said Lockhart soothingly. It's a simple charm I've used countless times. Why can't I just go to the hospital wing, said Harry through clenched teeth. He really should, Professor, said a muddy wood, who couldn't help grinning even though his seeker was injured. Great capture, Harry, really spectacular. Our best yet, I'd say. Through the thicket of legs around him, Harry spotted Fred and George Weasley, wrestling the rogue, wrestling the rogue bludger into a box. He was still putting up a terrific fight. Stand back, said Lockhart, who was still rolling up his jade green sleeves. No, don't, said Harry weakly. But Lockhart was twirling his wand, and a second later had directed it straight at Harry's arm. A strange and unpleasant sensation started at Harry's shoulder and spread all the way down to his fingertips. It was as though his arm was being deflated. He didn't dare look at what was happening. He'd shut his eyes. His face turned away from his arm, but his worst fears were realized as the people around him gasped, and Colin Creevy began clicking away madly. His arm didn't hurt anymore. Nor did it feel remotely like an arm. 
Ah, uh, yes, said Lockhart. Well, that can happen sometimes, but the point is the bones are no longer broken. <laughs> That's the thing to bear in mind. So, Harry, just uh, toddle on up to the hospital wing. Mr. Weasley, Miss Granger, will you escort him? And Madame Pomfrey will be able to uh, uh, tidy up a bit. As Harry got to his feet, he felt strangely lopsided. Taking a deep breath, he looked down at his right side. What he saw nearly made him pass out again. Poking out the end of his robes was what looked like a thick, flesh-colored rubber glove. He tried to move his fingers. Nothing happened. Lockhart hadn't mended Harry's bones. He had removed them. Madame Pomfrey wasn't at all pleased. You should have come straight to me, she raged, holding up the sad, limp remainder of what, half an hour before, had been a working arm. I can mend bones in a second, but growing them back. You will be able to, won't you? said Harry desperately. I'll be able to, certainly, but it will be painful, said Madame Pomfrey grimly, throwing Harry a pair of pajamas. You'll have to stay the night. Hermione waited outside, the curtain drawn round Harry's bed, while Ron helped him into his pajamas. It took a while to stuff the rubbery, boneless arm into a sleeve. How can you stick up for Lockhart now, eh, Hermione? Ron called through the curtain as he pulled Harry's limp fingers through the cuff. If Harry had wanted the bone and he would have asked. Anyone can make a mistake, said Hermione, and it doesn't hurt anymore, does it, Harry? No said Harry, getting into bed, but it doesn't do anything else either. As he swung himself into the bed, his arm flapped pointlessly. Hermione and Madame Pomfrey came around the curtain. Madame Pomfrey was holding a large bottle of something called Skelligro. You're in for a rough night, she said, pouring out a steaming beakerful and handing it to him. Regrowing bones is a nasty business. So was taking the Skelligro. It burned Harry's mouth and throat as it went down, making him cough and splutter. Still tut-tutting about dangerous sports and inept teachers, Adam Pomfrey retreated, leaving Ron and Hermione to help Harry gulp down some water. We won, though, said Ron, a grin breaking across his face. That was some catch you made. Malfoy's face, he looked ready to kill. I want to know how he fixed that bludger, said Hermione darkly. We can add that to the list of questions we'll be asking him once we've taken the polyjuice potion, said Harry, sinking back onto his pillows. Oh, I hope it tastes better than this stuff. If it's got bits of Slytherins in it, you've got to be joking, said Ron. The door of the hospital wing burst open at that moment. Filthy and soaking wet, the rest of the Gryffindor team had just arrived to see Harry. Unbelievable flying, Harry, said George. I've just seen Marcus Flint yelling at Malfoy. Something about having the snitch on top of his head and not noticing. Malfoy didn't seem too happy. They had brought cakes, sweets, and bottles of pumpkin juice. They gathered around Harry's bed and were just getting started on what promised to be a good party when Madame Pomfrey came storming over, shouting, This boy needs rest. He's got thirty-three bones to regrow. Out! Out! And Harry was left alone with nothing to distract him from the stabbing pains in his limp arm. Hours and hours later, 
Harry woke up quite suddenly in the pitch blackness and gave a small yelp of pain. His arm now felt full of large splinters. For a second he thought that was what had woken him. Then, with a thrill of horror, he realized someone was sponging his forehead in the dark. Get off! he said loudly, and then... Toby! The house elf's goggling tennis ball eyes were peering at Harry through the darkness. A single tear was running down his long, pointed nose. Alright, you guys ready for creepy Dobby voice? Here it comes. It's happening. Harry Potter came back to school, he whispered miserably. Dobby warned and warned Harry Potter. Oh, sir, why didn't you heed Dobby? Why didn't Harry Potter go home when he missed the train? Harry heaved himself up on his pillows and pushed Dobby's sponge away. What are you doing here? All right, so Dobby's just finished explaining. He did indeed close Harry off from getting on the train to Hogwarts. He was trying to protect Harry. Didn't imagine that Harry would find another way to get to school. He was rocking backward and forward, shaking his ugly head. Dobby was so shocked when he heard Harry Potter was back at Hogwarts. He let his master's dinner burn. Such a flogging Dobby never had, sir. Harry slumped back onto his pillows. You nearly got Ron me expelled, he said fiercely. You'd better get lost before my bones come back, Dobby, or I might strangle you. Dobby smiled weakly. Dobby is used to death threats, sir. Dobby gets them five times a day at home. He blew his nose on the corner of the filthy pillowcase he wore, looking so pathetic that Harry felt his anger ebb away in spite of himself. Why do you wear that thing, Dobby? he asked curiously. This, sir, said Dobby, plucking at the pillowcase, is a mark of the house elves' enslavement, sir. Dobby can only be freed if his master presents him with clothes, sir. The family is careful not to pass Dobby even a sock, sir, for then he would be free to leave the house forever. Dobby mopped his bulging eyes and said suddenly, Harry Potter must go home. Dobby thought this bludger would be enough to make him... Your bludger? said Harry, anger rising once more. What do you mean, your bludger? You made that bludger try to kill me? Not to kill you, sir, never kill you, said Dobby, shocked. Dobby wants to save you. Better sent home, grievously injured than remain here, sir. Dobby only wanted Harry Potter hurt enough to be sent home. Oh, is that all? said Harry angrily. I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you want to be sent home in pieces. Oh, if Harry Potter only knew, Dobby groaned more tears dripping onto his ragged pillowcase. If only he knew what he means to us, to the lowly, the enslaved. Dobby remembers how it was when he who must not be named was at the height of his powers, sir. We ourselves were treated like vermin, sir. Of course Dobby is still treated like that, sir, he admitted, drying his face on the pillowcase. But mostly, sir, life has improved for my kind since you triumphed over he who must not be named. Harry Potter survived, and the Dark Lord's power was broken. It was a new dawn, sir, and Harry Potter shone like a beacon of hope for those who thought that the dark days would never end, sir. And now at Hogwarts terrible things are to happen, perhaps happening already. And Dobby cannot let Harry Potter stay here now that the history is about to repeat itself, now that the Chamber of Secrets is open once more. 
Abby froze, horror-struck, then grabbed Harry's water jug from the bedside table and cracked it over his own head, toppling out of sight. A second later, he crawled back onto the bed, cross-eyed, muttering, Bad Dobby, very bad Dobby. So there is a chamber of secrets, Harry whispered, and did you say it's been open before? Tell me, Dobby. He seized the elf's bony wrist as Dobby's hand inched toward the water jug. But I'm not muggle-born. How can I be in danger from the chamber? Oh, sir, ask no more. Ask no more of poor Dobby, stammered the elf, his eyes huge in the dark. Dark deeds are planned in this place, but Harry Potter must not be here when they happen. Go home, Harry Potter, go home. Harry Potter must not meddle with this, sir. Tis too dangerous. Who is it, Dobby? Harry said, keeping a firm hold on Dobby's wrist to stop him from hitting himself with the water jug again. Who's opened it? Who opened it last time? Dobby can't, sir. Dobby can't. Dobby mustn't tell, squealed the elf. Go home, Harry Potter. Go home. I'm not going anywhere, said Harry fiercely. One of my best friends is Muggleborn. She'll be the first in line if the chamber really has been opened. Harry Potter risks his own life for his friends, moaned Dobby in a kind of miserable ecstasy. So noble, so valiant. But he must save himself. He must. Harry Potter must not. Dobby suddenly froze, his bat ears quivering. Harry heard it too. There were footsteps coming down the passageway outside. Dobby must go, breathed the elf, terrified. There was a loud crack, and Harry's fist was suddenly clenched in thin air. He slumped back onto the bed, his eyes on the dark doorway to the hospital wing as the footsteps grew nearer. Next moment, Dumbledore was backing into the dormitory, wearing a long, woolly dressing gown and a nightcap. He was carrying one end of what looked like a statue. Professor McGonagall appeared a second later, carrying its feet. Together, they heaved it onto a bed. Get to Madame Pomfrey whispered Dumbledore, and Professor McGonagall hurried past the end of Harry's bed and out of sight. Harry lay quite still, pretending to be asleep. He heard urgent voices, and then Professor McGonagall swept back into view, closely followed by Madame Pomfrey, who was pulling a cardigan over her nightdress. He heard a sharp intake of breath. What happened? Madame Pomfrey whispered to Dumbledore, bending over the statue on the bed. Another attack, said Dumbledore. Minerva found him on the stairs. There was a bunch of grapes next to him, said Professor McGonagall. I think he was trying to sneak up here to visit Potter. Harry's stomach gave a horrible lurch. Slowly and carefully he raised himself a few inches so he could look at the statue on the bed. A ray of moonlight lay across its staring face. It was Colin Creevy. His eyes were wide and his hands were stuck up in front of him, holding his camera. Mm, petrified, whispered Madame Pomfrey. Yes, said Professor McGonagall. But I shudder to think. If Albus hadn't been on the way downstairs for our chocolate, who knows what might have... The three of them stared down at Colin. And Dumbledore leaned forward and wrenched the camera out of Colin's rigid grip. You didn't think he managed to get a picture of his attacker, said Professor McGonagall eagerly. 
Dumbledore didn't answer. He opened the back of the camera. Good gracious, said Madame Pomfrey. A jet of steam had hissed out of the camera. Harry, three beds away, caught the acrid smell of burnt plastic. Melted, said Madame Pomfrey, wonderingly. All melted. What does this mean, Albus? Professor McGonagall asked urgently. It means, said Dumbledore, that the Chamber of Secrets is indeed open again. Madame Pomfrey clapped a hand to her mouth. Professor McGonagall stared at Dumbledore. But, Albus, should... Who? The question is not who, said Dumbledore, his eyes on Colin. The question is how. And from what Harry could see of Professor McGonagall's shadowy face, he didn't understand this any better than he did. that is the end of chapter 10. It's book two and things are getting serious, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for joining me. Getting back into the swing of things. I'm going to bluster for a bit. If you've got any comments, questions, concerns, anything you want to talk about in chat, I would love to discuss it. Go ahead and put it in chat. I'll talk about it as soon as I see it. We're going to have a quick... But before we go to break, I got something cool to show you. It is... My very own Ollivander's wand. There it is. This is the box. Now, this was a lovely handmade gift from basically the 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 hardcore fan of the the stream, Rachel. Thank you very much. This is my wand. It is identified in the box by a lovely placard reading "Cherry Wood Dragon Heart String Core, 14 inches and slightly yielding flexibility." I love this thing. I think it's fantastic. It's got like a cool black rose down at the bottom. Um, I like the colors, the black and the brown together. And uh, I can cast... Uh, <laughs> I can cast a spell with it. I'm going to go say Accio Feather. And there we have it. I love this thing. Uh, this is going to become like the mascot of the streams, basically. Um, this is my wand. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And I love it. Rachel, thank you very much for being such a fan. Thank you for this awesome, uh, this awesome little, like, addition to the, the adventure that has been streaming these stories. I love it. It stays with my, my streaming business. It's gonna stay with me for streams. I also love the box. This is a custom-made box. I don't want to show too much of it, because it's got my name all over it, like my full name. Um... But thank you so much. 